0: Hi Marie, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. Caught me taking a sneaky drink of water.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so I wanted to just <clears throat> do a quick, brief introduction. Uh, you, uh, you, you, you are a, pl- a police officer, or, or you reti- retired police officer.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm transitioning.
0: Transitioning, okay. And you're also you- a Irish crime novelist.
1: That's right. I I write crime set in Ireland. Yeah. Psychological thrillers, gangland thrillers that's sitting with the agent at the moment. There's nothing quite published yet, but it's on the cusp. So emerging uh, at that stage. Yeah. I'm in that's the waiting exciting. room for that.
0: That's exciting, actually. It's yeah. a lot of work behind writing a full novel.
1: Yeah. 90,000 words and you don't think you will. And then you are... Um several thousand, you're two thousand words in, you think, God, I have to make to eight. And next thing you've eighty thousand and you go, where did that come from? And then when you read back, it's 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 interesting and amazing, but the story carries you on. So it's yeah. it's interesting that way. If it's a good enough story, it'll it, it carry you on. You usually figure around ten, fifteen thousand words whether it's going somewhere or not.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I personally tried to to write books, not not novels, more of um um you know these business style books and uh every time i get started i get through you know maybe halfway through the first chapter and then it becomes a, a dead project you know so i uh, <laughs> i don't know i don't know how you had the discipline the you know that determination to actually get through the entire book that's that's uh i tip my hat for that definitely uh you also uh have gotten a certification in uh post trauma growth uh yeah. and and this has become especially in the middle east uh and and I'll I'll openly say this because I think that it needs to be addressed mm-hmm. uh, in the middle east we tend to you know uh, have psychology uh, have psychological illnesses and disorders be a very taboo subject um mm-hmm. Which is, which is, it's getting better now, and we're growing through, uh, we're, we're in a growth phase where it's becoming more public, uh, it's being discussed, mm-hmm. and I find it fascinating uh, uh, that, that we can have you here, and we can talk about uh, a traumatic experience, and, and, and what we can do as people who haven't been through it, to help mm-hmm. others get through it, and not necessarily recover, but at least live <clears throat> with that uh lingering kind of sense of uh of uh of that that stress that that we had experienced
1: absolutely and the the idea the concept of it was um around oh, it's it's really recent um the idea of growing from great suffering brings uh, great learning is is ancient but actually addressing the theory around post trauma growth um started to be developed in the 90s And in certain areas, then um, people picked up that study from uh, two academics called Tadishi and Calhoun, and they developed in around 1999, a post-traumatic growth inventory. So it was the concept that growth was measurable and you could attribute um, certain growth to certain traumas. Um, Then we'll say in around the 2013, um, people started looking growth, post-trauma growth for we'll say bereaved parents. Um, and interestingly, actually, some of the lead thinkers in this and some of the PhD students and academics are, have gone through a, a certain trauma themselves and they have, they have seen, seen the growth and they have learned from it themselves and they've, they've developed it from their own observations and their own learnings and actually, interestingly, I didn't realise I went through a post-trauma growth until I started to study it I was doing my my higher diploma in in coaching, coaching psychology. Um, I took on um, post trauma growth as an aspect to zone in on. I did my project on um, coaching for post trauma post trauma growth and coaching for bereaved parents. And in my study, of it, I realised I had gone through it, I had suffered PTSD as, uh, for an injury in the line of duty as a police officer. Um, I. Uh, interestingly, the the crime writing came out of that, um, and that's why it's an yes. intrinsic part of my makeup. Because I started writing for therapy. Um, it was it was getting out of the bed into the car, driving my my injury in the line of duty was a head-on collision. I was driving a patrol car, and getting into a car was traumatic. Going outside the door was traumatic. Um, being in spaces, open spaces, closed spaces, all that was traumatic. The yes. writing actually was a catalyst. To me, getting out, getting into the car, being around people, being in public, uh, and dealing with anxieties. And I continued to write and hence signed with an agent. And, you know, that was kind of, oh my God, this happened. But these were all tiny steps in a growth process that I didn't identify until I started studying it myself. Right. And I realized the power of this. I realized the power of a growth that the idea that, um, you know there can be a change in a person as a result of a struggle with a highly challenging experience um and a lot of people as you said we need to open the um conversation around trauma people are very afraid of that word you know because what is it what is a trauma a trauma is something significant enough that you that the cause such an imbalance in your life that it changes your regular day-to-day living it causes a significant disruption you know, be it a loss, be it a grief, be it a, a breakup, be it, you know, something, it doesn't have to be a bereavement, it can be a divorce, it can be, you know, it's, it's, uh, there, there's a range life-changing of
0: life-changing situation, yeah.
1: life-changing situation that's significant enough for someone to sit back and be really, really affected by it.
0: Yeah, um, but what you, sorry, I don't mind, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry for interrupting, but uh, you mentioned that you didn't realize that you had experienced that PTSD, and and that makes it a little bit harder for people to even support you if if you mm-hmm. you don't recognize it yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think I think uh, just to to you know uh, at one point from my end is that I think that having an awareness that everyone is going through something, something you know, yeah. everyone's going through some sort of stress. Um, it could be as simple as a financial situation, uh, and it could be as you know, as as intense as return from military duty and combat, yeah. and uh, and and they might re- not recognize it themselves. They might think that they're doing perfectly well, and and yeah. you know, sometimes uh, y- you would you would have someone start screaming while they're sleeping, and 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 mm. you won't see that in the workplace. You won't see them dealing with that so understanding that everyone's dealing with the stress i think mm-hmm. we need to be more empathetic and a lot less you know treat each other like human beings basically rather than uh yes. yelling and demanding and so on you know everything is a request at the end of the day and everyone's at liberty to make yeah. their own decisions uh, sorry i just wanted to go off into that tangent but but another thing that was was uh curious for me uh was when you were in the line of duty and, and that event had happened, mm-hmm. uh, did you did you acknowledge that you had that PTSD in that moment, or or or, or was it just get out of it?
1: Um, the PTSD, I, I would say, diagnosis came after it. It was it was the development and it was the coping I had with the aftermath of the this incident that could have um, taken my life, basically. Um, It was the head on collision and was crushed into a car and it changed the trajectory of my career. Um, And it was that realization that when you're sitting there going, um, it it was the sudden realization that things are never going to be the same. And Mm -hmm. then when I got the PTSD diagnosis, that made sense. And when I started studying the post-trauma growth, the emergence from it then made sense. Um, and the drive, I suppose, to um, be better at X, Y and Z or be improve at something or that I could that, that I could realign my thinking. And the, the intrinsic thing for me was and, and looking back in hindsight now, I can identify a point at which I took up the writing because I, I knew that I was limited in what I could do as a frontline worker And I had to find something else I would be good at because that was my nature. I had to find something else that I would be good at, that I would be rewarded for. And hence taking on the the coaching and the the post-trauma studies, again, finding something that I could be good at. It's that drive forward that, that you never lose. If you've had that, you won't lose that. You won't lose that because of a trauma. You won't lose the way you are. The trauma is, it happens to you. It isn't you. You are not the trauma. You are not the grief. You are not the stress. You know the stress is there with you. It's on you. It's like there's an Irish saying, to brawn orum." The sadness is on you. It's not you. It's you know. It's it's part of you that you can that you can park and move and sit beside. Um, you carry it along in your life. As, as, as I said, some I um. Uh, I remember saying to a coaching client one time, there's three people here. There's the person you were before the trauma. Mm-hmm. There's the person you are now because of it. And it's the person you're going to be with it. And you're taking everything you've had all along, all the good, bad, and the ugly, or who you are now in this very moment, because that's the moment that matters, And who you and you're carrying all that forward. So right. it's the post-trauma growth is the idea of how you can carry that trauma forward to be you with that trauma and in spite of it, not because of it, but in spite of it. And it's not for one moment leaving behind your experience of it, but it's it, it's finding a way of finding, we we'll us say a pocket in your jacket to, to, to simplify it a bit. It's finding a bag big enough to carry it until it's it, it's reduced right. enough to, to for it to fit in your handbag or fit in your man bag or your wallet or your pocket. Right. But you take it from the burdensome, weighted sack that's full of rocks to to sit, like it's still there it can be maybe folded into a, a, a more manageable and more hand luggage if you like right. so it's right. it's that it's that carrying forward and it's finding the ability to carry yourself forward in spite of that trauma and carrying it forward with you. It will it it will never be you it, it doesn't define you it changes the way you your outlook you know and, and and I'm speaking from a personal point of view, like it, it changes your outlook and every, everybody is different. and if, if if you can carry that forward and 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 still have strength and it's it's not resilience, it's more than resilience. resilience is just bouncing back from uh, something, whereas the post trauma growth is, is that growing in spite of the trauma. it's funny and it's not an easy road. it's not it's not a, oh you wake up one morning and everything is fine. No, there there's steps you have to take, and there's there there's a road you have to go down, and you know there's stops and starts and different things, but it's doable, and that's the mm-hmm. important thing. It is a journey. It is a door you can open, and it's a path you can walk. If that if you choose to walk that path, if you're ready to walk that path, and if you wish to walk that path, some people aren't ready, and when they're not ready, then that's when they need to stay where they are regain their, keep it counselling or whatever methods they use to cope with what they have dealt with. And then what if they've enough counselling? What if they've exhausted the need for counselling to an extent that further counselling won't um, It'll be counterproductive. Exactly. It won't serve them and it won't, won't make you progress and it won't, won't grow. So what do you do then? What do you, what do, you do if you've exhausted the, the coaching and and you're sitting there and you've all the coping abilities to deal with your trauma and you're sitting there currently and now you need a sense of direction that's where the post trauma coaching comes in your sense of direction to move forward um with what you've learned and how to cope with your abilities to cope right so you don't sit in the trauma you carry it forward and i suppose i, I you know i'd help you find right. the, the appropriate luggage in which to carry it
0: yeah, there the, the comes a point where I feel like, you know, attending these therapy sessions, um, especially when, when, when the progress stops, mm. it's it's really just keeping the wound open, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like you said, it's about learning how to live with it and in spite of it. So I've actually heard of cases where people have come through a PTSD uh, episode, mm-hmm. uh, or sorry, not an episode, a, a they've been through a traumatic yeah. experience yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. and then they actually not only uh, continued uh, in spite of it, but they actually started using it as fuel to launch their careers. Um, and, and uh, such as you have done in 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 a, in a manner of speaking, you've, mm-hmm. you've literally gotten the certification in post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and that's, that, I mean, that's a big fuel factor, whether you, you, I, I, you know, according to what you said, uh, whether you realize it or not, I, I'm sure that was a big factor in, in leading you in that, that direction.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was, I was drawn to it because I, I have over two decades of experience as a police officer. You're landing into someone in a most traumatic situation. And in that in that traumatic situation, you have to find those words because all your senses are heightened, so whatever anybody says, does, you know, you may not remember, you remember the bad things, you remember negative things someone has said, so so we've always had to find, as police officers, we've always had to find the way to be in the trauma, so that's where I don't have a problem, that's an advantage in a way, because I don't have a problem sitting in a room if trauma presents itself, you know, that's half the battle, it's the whole you know um don't shy away from it it's part of the person that's uh, that's uh, that's like saying oh don't bring your arm in don't bring your foot in you know it's it's part of the person it, it you know it's not functioning like a limb but at the same time it's um it's part of the person it's part of their makeup and if they're they're there and then which is the the there and then of what has happened to them impacts on their here and now and it is the cause of them not moving forward then it's relevant, and it's relevant in the conversation, and it's relevant to be addressed. And like it's opening that conversation around trauma. And as a coach, if you're afraid to sit in a room with a bereavement or with a trauma, then that's where you know maybe shouldn't tackle that until you're ready. And so, as as uh, over that two decades of experience blending into a traumatic experience, and I suppose finding a way to kind of centre yourself to know what to do, and then. I suppose my own trauma in the, the crash, I've had own personal trauma beyond that, which is probably a topic for another day. But what I will say is, is my particular focus on a project for um, coaching post-trauma for bereaved parents, that, you know, that is relevant to me. And that is very, and, you know, a lot of people are afraid to sit in a room with that kind of grief or with that kind of trauma. And I think it's finding a way to open that dialogue with people. And again, like if you're like that for managers and that if you are dealing with someone who is returning to work after um, a particularly traumatic experience like miscarriage, like baby loss or like bereavement, family bereavement, friend bereavement, anything like that as a manager, you need to know, you need to put on your empathy. You know, you need your empathy hat and you need to know how to properly integrate a person back into a workplace because their lives will have changed they, they'll they have altered you know you know you have to be mindful of your it, the words you use the terminologies for example you know there's there's no point using words like at least when they're still in what if and if only yes you know because your at least could be extremely damaging to their you know and they're two words and they're two words that can you know, two words there, but a preface. It's a preface to.
0: Oh, um, you know that actually. It. That actually triggered a thought for me here. Um, I, you know, you have that that manly mentality where it's like, oh, just get up and deal with it. You know, like, yeah. uh, you know, why are you complaining? Just keep going. You know, yeah, and first off, yeah, and 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 to a point. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've learned to embrace uh, a little bit of that manly attitude, but I don't impose it on others by any means. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, everyone deals with, with stress and recovery in their own way. And Mm -hmm. if it works for them, it does, uh, as long as Mm -hmm. they're not, you know, obviously, (laughs) uh, taking into, you know, abusing Mm -hmm. drugs or, or, or escaping reality, you know, and, and that, and that's actually another direction that we can talk about. I mean, if, if if you see people, let's say abusing a drug or abusing a certain, even a sport, if you Mm. abuse you can damage yourself just as easily as you could with anything else so mm-hmm. uh, people tend to use these things and the and uh, a coping mechanism is fine as long as it doesn't become an escape of reality yes and there's yeah. this very fine line between it
1: it's 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 wanting to drive forward by any means possible is that is is that fine line i mean me with the the writing and being therapeutic, and then I'm gone so far as having an agent nearly um signing a deal the escape into that imaginary world, and I suppose writing about gangland stuff was a was a weird escape, and then thinking back on it it was it was the drive to prove that I could be good at some something else, but there was a point. Where I had to recognize was it becoming obsessive? Was I spending every every spare minute doing this? And what was my real intention and real motivation? And that's the point at which it shifted for me, and I really had to think about what was my motivation behind this. And then I then I made the logic decision that I wanted to move forward with this in a, in a professional way, signing with the agent and getting getting published and and going that way. That was a conscious decision. That wasn't a this will solve everything. You know, if I get right. this deal, if I get sent, this mm. is going to solve everything. And this is going to melt away everything I've dealt with. And this is going to be the new me. There, you know, it's it, that's not. And it's it's the way we're all to realize that, that that that's not the answer. And it's, it's, I suppose it's the mindfulness of sitting with the trauma and sitting in who you are now and what where you're at on, and where you're at because of what you've dealt with. You know, and and that, and then then you can make the logical decisions to move forward. It's like turning to drink or turning to drugs or turning to an obsessive behavior, I suppose, in in order to shut out facing the trauma. You will then constantly see in this loop of um, not moving forward. It, it, it's the loop of you're you're building this partition around yourself and you're not letting anything in. And there's a danger then that it will climb over the top and it will find you anyway.
0: And then you're trapped
1: you're trapped and yeah and and you're finding that way out and then you're back to where you were and wherever you find your means to 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 do your therapy you know when you do it is the right time for you but by doing like let's say by by sitting in that obsessive behavior or or be a denial maybe um, you're delaying that progress, but then you have to be ready. Then you have to, if that's what you need to do to get where you need to go in order to, you know, to move yourself forward, then that's what you need to do for you. And it's people that's surrounding you that needs to be aware to identify um, where they can step in and where they can support. And they're, like, you know, like saying to someone, I know how you feel. No, nobody knows how anybody feels. Like you, yeah. you and I could have gone, walked the same. We could have experienced the same thing, but your thoughts are subjective. Mine are subjective. There yes. we've autonomy over ourselves, and there there are no two thoughts that are ever ever the same, even right. if they were on the same track. So you can never say to someone, "I know how you feel." You can yeah, identify can with an ratio. experience, yeah. 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 You can identify with an experience, and you can empathize, but you can't yeah. know how someone feels. Like right. I, I hear, I hear that at different things. In well, the you life. know, the Irish are i and not sure I know how you feel. you think that's bad? Wait till I tell you this.
0: oh no i think i think that that's universal regardless of of, of ireland or or jordan or wherever we might be uh everyone's ready to just you know one out out they're talking to even if it's something negative it's
1: (laughs) and especially and i've seen in the police force as well like like you have members coming back from horrific things and you're going i remember the time something worse happened wait till i tell you that and and your colleague is there, and all they need is just the kind of, you know, get yourself a cup of tea. There, you will be fine, you know.
0: Right, right, right. It's 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 kind of an interesting competitive environment, right?
1: <laughs> yes, it's, so, it, yes.
0: So one thing that I was that crossed my mind here was um, that, you know, saying that I, you know, I know how you feel. For me, seems like a conversation filler when they're uncomfortable. You know, uh or when they yeah. don't know what to say, it's just, "I know how you feel, um yeah, when, when I think a lot of the time people forget to acknowledge that silence sometimes is better than saying the thing, and maybe it's more supportive, just simply listening and and not responding, and just just nod your head sometimes that's enough help and and you don't need to do more than that,
1: no. You don't and it's interesting i'm i I'm, I'm doing a masters in mindfulness to teach mindfulness which i hope to incorporate into the coaching and silence is a huge part of it we do we do active classes where you take you 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 you're, you go into groups of twos and and one is silent for 5 minutes while the other talks about a particular situation and when i say silent there are no reactions there are no ums and no anything like that and the pressure off you when you're, you're someone tells you you don't have to respond is huge. It, it, it's hugely relieving. And I think we want to jump in and we want to help and we want to fix and we want to say, I know you're feeling it and be fine. And saying I know how you feel is fine if you have the emotional intelligence to judge the room, judge the scenario, judge the person's feelings, their, their body language, their reaction. If your emotional intelligence is tuned in enough for you to say that, and it land in a way with the person, that's fine. But,
0: but a, lo- a, lo- a lot of the time I feel uh, we get in this habit, especially in the work environment, where there's a problem with the system, we fix it. There's this, you know, we fix it. Oh, yeah. But in terms of humans, not everything can be fixed. And not everything should. A lot of the negative experience that, the experiences that I've had in my life, uh, I've learned to embrace and learn from and and actually grow from as well um as 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 contradictory as it might seem uh it depends on how you take the negative experience and what you do with it you know um it doesn't have to be all bad consistently for the rest of your life uh it's just a matter of understanding that it's not something to fix it's something to adapt to
1: yeah, and, and if, if people surrounding you and supporting you are given that that release that they're not required to fix, then they become better listeners and they become better in the, the silence and holding the silence and holding the space for someone to be what they need to be in that moment. Just like if, if, if they need to fall apart, that's fine. They can fall apart knowing that you're there to help them pick up the pieces. And another day they could be fine, and they could be the ones holding you together. Mm-hmm. You know, like just because you've suffered trauma, you can you can laugh and you can be there for somebody else. You can still do that. And in fact, distraction is quite good. And sometimes showing up for someone else can be a therapy in itself because you feel you know people aren't, you know, stepping you know on eggshells around you or something like that. And Interesting that leads me to, to another question is the the loaded question i suppose as a manager as well in workplaces or non workplaces is the how are you question that okay. is weighted so much and it's one thing you should never ask unless you're prepared for the answer to be anything other you know than i'm fine the <laughs> number and, and of the,
0: times i have said that exact sin- sentence you know how are you? I, this, they always say Kifak in Arabic," which is "how are you." So uh, it's 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 really short compared to "how are you." But uh, yeah. so so sometimes they say "how are you," and 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 you see that it's a genuine question, and you feel like it is. So you start to give a genuine response, and they go, "No, you sh- you should say that. Hey, everything's good." And I'm like, "Don't tell me what I should say. If if anything, you shouldn't ask me that question if you're not prepared for my answer."
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah. That is a hugely weighted question, and especially if, if someone is, would say, returning for work or back into your group or environment, it, 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 having suffered a trauma, the "how are you?" question is loaded, and it really is. Unless you're prepared to be that proper listener, um, you know, are you? Are you? How is your emotional intelligence high enough to deal with the answer? Can you be empathetic, not sympathetic? Um, can you? you know, can you listen? Can you be the person that listens? I mean, you can show empathy without asking that question. You can show it in actions. You can reframe the question. I hope you're doing okay considering what you've dealt with. You know, I wish you strength. You know, there are other ways of saying how are you, but the asking the how are you question is is just loaded if you're, you know, if you're not prepared for the answer, how do you think I am? (laughs) Do you not realize what I've gone through?
0: You know, fuck things. Yeah. Well, well I mean, you know, there's, there's multiple perspectives to be sought out here. I mean, as the manager, mm-hmm. you can't really know what someone went through. Um, so yes. it, it's kind of unfair for the person who's been through the PTSD to assume that you know they know as well. Exactly. But, yeah. But also, there's a there's a really intense amount of of. Uh, undiscussed, and it's, it's not brought to the topic. They say that the new management style should be coaching. And that yeah. means that before you go to work, you got to wake up early, wake up, not just wake up, not get out of bed, but I'm saying like really wake up, but uh, like- maybe go for a run, because your mm-hmm. re- responsibility is not only the financial benefit of an organization, it's also, is your team mentally there? Uh, yes. How can I support the team? Uh, asking the "How are you?" means really sitting down and listening when they respond. Uh, it means taking that extra effort. It means being the father figure or the mother figure in in the business. And and I know a lot of people don't like that uh, term, you know that reference, but it's a, it's true. Um, you have to be the role model. You have to be the person yeah. that I am here to support the team, and that should be the role of the manager. Uh, with PTSD-related issues, you know, if you're hiring people with disabilities, it's the same situation. you got to be willing to go the extra mile to give them a winning environment for them to succeed at the job you've hired them for.
1: Exactly, because you want the best productive member of staff that you want, that you need, that you want them in, in their state of flow. I mean, the state of flow, it, it it it's recorded that you use 10% of your brain, you're 500% more productive when you're in that high state of flow um, where your, your skill set meets the requirements of you in the job. So you stick trauma into the middle of that that causes that little imbalance. All it might take is taking that few minutes to go, how are you? And properly listen and make sure the person is heard. Then that could set them up for the day because they know then that, right, okay, this person hears me. They properly hear me. They may never have to come back to you for anything. There may be a day that they may have to come back to you or a month, or it may take longer than that. But it's that acknowledgement and knowing that the how are you question is followed by a proper listening and a proper response and an empathetic um, right. ear. Then it's like as like I say that managers need peck. They need patience, empathy, and compassion. Yes. And without that, then and even even if even if the emotional intelligence of the manager is low on the scale, they need to learn how to be that way. They need right. to learn, you know, they they need to learn. They need to have their guides. They need to have their five things I need to know. Like five things I shouldn't say, you know, five things that, you know, this kind of thing. We're all in numbers and we're all in three, top three things are doing that. So what are the five things I shouldn't say? What are the three things I need to do? Patience, empathy and compassion. So if my, my emotional intelligence level is low and I'm dealing with numbers and I'm pressure at the end of the month and someone's coming back and they're after dealing with something traumatic, if I take a breath and I have my passion, empathy and compassion, I can get more out of that employee to be a productive member of the company and, and, and staff. And that way then you know i've i've my job done i can carry on knowing that you know i've that area covered so yeah. that's you know it's down to that if if it doesn't come naturally to you learn how to do it you know i,
0: just, I, I think this is you know a common mistake within organizations where the you know we, we put so much pressure on the cash flow we put so much pressure on, and this, we're talking of course uh, the the for profit the private sector you know yeah. they put yeah. so much pressure on results uh, financially speaking that they forget about the unquantifiable things that you need to be checking in with right so let's say and I, I've mentioned this before on 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 this talk is you have a salesperson that's normally getting every single target mm-hmm. they're doing every single thing right and then all of a sudden for maybe a month or two months go by where he's barely even there mentally when he's at the office mm-hmm. and, and and instead of checking in and asking how are you doing or what's going on they start to give him warnings they start to let him go you know they fire him and yeah. and the thing is if you asked how are you doing it might be something that's not work related it might be something at home that he's really struggling with maybe it's a traumatic experience but mm-hmm. when you know that you can help him recover faster And then get back into the game, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, get his A game back, you know? But if you're not asking, how are you? It's financially in terms of like a private sector kind of style of business. But not only that, if you want your team to have their A game every single day, you need to check in. You're Mm -hmm. spending more time with the people at the office than you are spending time with your own family. So if you check in with your family and you're expected of that, you should definitely be expected to check in with the people who are, who are managing your objectives, your business, your, uh, your general goal or mission.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, that was, that
0: was my perspective.
1: No, you're absolutely right. There was one particular um, uh, international company that uh, a a co-student of mine actually works for. uh, And the coaching intervention in that company was seen as two steps away from a disciplinary procedure, and she's actually reframed that now to be what we can do to move forward. As that, you know, because the 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 business coaching, the professional coaching, like that, like it, 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 it they're um it, three parties. The um I I am gone blank on the word now. The um the the co-party. So we'll say you have. When I'm coaching someone one to one, it's there. It's personal coaching. In a business, it's the it's the company and the person, and you're the the factor in the middle that 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 helps um, both of them find that smooth way forward. And like that now with someone returning with uh, the, the, there's another um, uh, big company that's after introducing um, extra leave when you've dealt with the trauma of miscarriage and uh pregnancy loss extra and extra counselling but to go one step further to introduce the coaching is that bridge to educate the line manager educate the the person the supervisor above and and then the the smoother transition in because you know and you're providing the stuff for the the member of staff and then if you provide it for the managers and educate them and then it 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 broadens out it it then becomes a habitual it becomes the norm it becomes the environment, and it becomes an environment of a safe place to be, to, to, to you know, to to be yourself, to be the, your authentic self, in order for you to move forward. So, I like that now, and the flow and flow used to be quantifiable, really. It was a, it was um, it was, I think Chicks and Mihai did quantify in the end, but it was a McKinsey study actually in the last a ten year study that that put the quantity on flow. And, and as I said, that's where your skill set meets the challenge. And that's where it, it gets your 500 times more productive with 10% use of your brain. Now that is just powerful. You're doing something, you know, it's like if you find something you love, you'll ever work a day in your life, but okay, you're going into work and okay, you might love it, but is your skill set meeting what you need? Where is the imbalance? And how, what can we, what can we do to redress the imbalance? Where can we get you into flow? Where can we get you into the most productive way? And like that with trauma, it upsets the balance so much that you need to find that find that balance again. And trust trust your member of staff, trust your colleague to have the resilience. They're, they're the person they were before. They're now carrying this. You know, it's, it's like if they appeared into work with something weighing them down on their shoulders, you're going to go along and give them a hand. If they're carrying too many bags, you're going, can I take one of those for you? It's as simple as that. Right, that, any sense,
0: that, yeah. that actually triggered another uh, domino effect on in, in my mind. So, uh, what what if we also look at it from another perspective? What if the manager is the person who's experienced the traumatic effect? Yeah. Um, right. So so mm-hmm. like in this scenario, uh, maybe their trust was betrayed. Maybe God knows what. So you have to overcome that, right? As someone, in mm-hmm. that situation where you're responsible for other people, uh, it's your responsibility in this situation to overcome your own uh, problems. Uh, mm-hmm. not, so, not necessarily overcome. Maybe, you know, gaining trust becomes a little bit harder for other people to come into your circle. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you always have to acknowledge that the person in the past that created the traumatic effect has nothing to do with the people in your office and on your team.
1: Exactly. You know,
0: it's just a matter of acknowledgement of different situations and looking. And and again, you know, like you said, the the communication is a big factor. Mm -hmm. So, So asking your team to check in on you as the manager, there's nothing wrong with that. Say from time to time, I need you to check in with me. If I yell at you, if I'm angry at you, don't take it personally. Come in. Let's have a conversation. Let me know I upset you and I'll handle it. You
1: know, take out an extra cup and bring me in a coffee. Right, right. And you don't even ask; have to ask how the person is. Just go, look, you're a bit under pressure there. I thought you could use a bit of a caffeine hit. And you just don't know what kind of a dialogue, but that's having the emotional intelligence to be aware. Because maybe if they get that from the manager, they'll give that back. And then that leads then to a development of an environment of understanding. And an environment where um, being being vulnerable and being that way is welcomed, and it can be addressed, and it can be you know it can it, it can sit comfortably in the conversation. So that like, and once you know the trust, and you know if if your peer or or the your colleague is coming in to show you that sometimes that's fine. Sometimes that that simple act of or just putting, putting a hand on a shoulder and going, do you need anything? You don't even have to know. You don't even have to ask. But I think bring someone a, just a knows a so they acknowledge.
0: Drop off a, a bottle of water. That's all I need to do.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, just the acknowledgement of something's not quite right. I'm doing this little thing to fix it. It could make a huge difference. Make a huge difference. You know. And I think
0: I think everyone has gone through a traumatic event even if they don't, even if they haven't realized it or won't admit it even to themselves. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. everyone, everyone, and it's it's way more common than people realize. Even if they've even experienced it themselves, they still don't yeah. realize that it's so common going through these traumatic events. Uh, you know, a, a tra- like you said, a traumatic event could be losing a family member. And that, that happens. That happens every day, uh, you know. So you, you, you you could come to work and just be angry and maybe someone maybe didn't go through the newspaper, so they don't know. And they just go about their day like normal and you see it as them being insensitive rather than just another day, you know? So I think that the the common theme here with uh, leading post-traumatic growth in the workplace is that leadership doesn't have to be, just from the manager it, it has to be from everyone building that environment of of what you said the 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 yeah. empathy
1: the pec the patience sympathy, and compassion
0: patience empathy and compassion we have to understand each other we have to understand that i had a bad night uh, i had a bad night's rest a bad night's rest in itself is a traumatic experience of, it's course of course,
1: exactly. there's
0: different, different levels of it,
1: yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, patient empathy and compassion is, is so important. Like that, it could be divorce, it could be empty nest syndrome, it could be, it could be anything. It could be significant enough for it to cause you an imbalance. And if you're going in knowing that you're going to get that patient empathy and compassion, then. You won't dread the experience of work. You will possibly see work as, as your escape or your your balance that you need because you you know it's a safe place to be you and 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 to be vulnerable and it's to um even just you know having a room or having a space or having a place to like get headspace you know to know to say to someone I need a bit of headspace right. And it might be five minutes of that for someone to to dive back in, right? You know, actually, I've actually I've actually
0: heard of these uh, office buildings in Japan where they have these rooms where you can either just go break everything in there, or you can just go scream. They call it screaming rooms, I think. Yeah,
1: right. into yeah. the
0: pillow. <gasps> yeah, into the pillow. Yeah, or the, yeah. I, I, know, I know there was one office building that I actually saw uh, online, of course. Uh, and they, they went up, to, they, they have the roof, they have a nice garden space for, like, therapeutic causes, and a section of the roof is people to just go scream off the top of the roof.
1: And let it all out. And let it all out. And don't, don't wear it, don't wear it. It's like crying. They're like grief bubbles. That's what I call yes. someone. You know, if someone cries or they might or do you know the way it rises? Because it rises so suddenly, and you're going, "This isn't happening." And and the more you resist it, the worse it is, the worse it becomes, and then you're, then it just comes out anyway. So it's like grief bubbles. It's it's like they need yeah. to pop, you know, right. and, and they need to get out. And it's like the pressure, if it doesn't, is just it, it would be too much to bear, and, and I mean, you're swallowing all that. Then it's just
0: how many times are people on the way to work and they want to scream a thousand times,
1: mm. you know?
0: Life is getting stressful and it's getting really fast-paced and, and, and the more it does, the more pressure we feel, you know? So it's it's very normal uh, and I think it needs to be normalized, yeah.
1: you know? It needs to be acknowledged, yeah, that, you know, it's like, is it Nietzsche had the, the concept of the, the the many faces we put on? you know to to turn up in life, we step into roles, we put on faces, and people never really see our true selves um and and if you have to if you have to do that anyway, and then you have to do it you have to put on a heavier face because of trauma, that then eventually that will eventually wear you down that will eventually um drag you down to you know, down to a level that that you can't cope with. So you've that wearing. So there's that pressure to be the person you need to be in the role you're stepping into, and then there's the pressure of this added thing you're carrying. Right. So there's there, there's all that and there's all that weight and that's where, like I describe it, like the luggage. That's where the luggage weighs you down. Right. You know, and you go I over mean, the baggage allowance and you go over the, you know, and you just can't carry everything. You just can't. You know.
0: Right. right. And, and we how have...
1: broad your shoulders are.
0: Well, I mean, you know, at the office at Spartan, we, we, um, we're constantly, like, like, heated, you know, debating what should we do, what should we do, what should we do. But I think because we let it out as we're working, we're actually yeah. very peaceful. We're very collaborative. You know, we don't let it build up. We don't explode all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. So, so we're very collaborative. We don't mind having these heated conversations. And I think a lot of people need to understand that there's a difference between a heated conversation and an all-out argument. You know, there's, there's a, a heated
1: conversation that's constructive, You're you know, right. there's that, as, as Bob was saying the other week was the, the, the intelligent disobedience, there's right. the intelligent disobedience debate, and then there's the, you know, the, I, I loved that talk, it was fierce, it was fierce, interesting, and, and there's that concept, and there's the, there's the trashing it out and the brainstorming, and that's passionate, that's, you know, that's necessary, you know, the, the thought progression or thought generation generating thought is a skill in itself, you know, to ge- to generate thought and I meat, that needs to be done and if, you know, it needs to be passionate and it needs to be, that's where the magic happens, that's where the the fire, you know, happens and the ideas and and, and yeah. the what was impossible is possible and, you know, what you thought you couldn't achieve is achievable and hey, let's do this, you know, no, you're mad, right. you know, that it's just, you know, yeah, man. A... Yeah, my
0: veins it's coming like out. It's it. okay. Ignore that. Let's just keep going.
1: <laughs> I'm growing a second head. Don't worry about that. <laughs> that's just a symptom. <laughs> that's the that's the thought generation coming out of me, you know? Right. <laughs> like bursting right. with ideas that it, it 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 comes out elsewhere. But you're right, it's out. It's out in the open, it's right. out on the table, it's it's examined, it's 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 almost forensic in a sense, it's just, once it's out on the table, you can you can dissect it. Can dissect it,
0: right? right. Exactly.
1: You so know, that, I, I'm, a, I'm a good
0: fan of brainstorming sessions, group brainstorming sessions. For this yeah. reason, it's like we sit down, we put it on the board, and we just keep going, just keep throwing ideas, even if we argue, keep going.
1: <laughs> what, what, what company? Oh, there's a company that has if if you say no to an idea, you have to. I, I read that somewhere that you have to write is it a is it a three page or a ten page justification to the no. If someone comes to you with a reasonable oh. idea, you have to say yes, or if you say no, you have to come. You've to right. I don't know where I read that. Where um, yeah, someone has to.
0: It's true. It's true. Yeah. If you reject an idea, you got to justify why you're rejecting it.
1: Exactly. So I. And it, uh, it has
0: to make sense. The rejection itself has to make sense to the rest of the team.
1: It does absolutely. So yeah. it, it 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 does, and uh, that that's constructive. You know, yes. and, and that's stepping outside the norm. And that's that thought generation where the the, the, the juiciest grapes grow for the the, the best wine or the, right. you know, the best ideas and the, you know, the trips into space. You know, no,
0: inno- no innovation has ever come to life without confrontation.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yes. And that includes internal confrontation. Yes, between you and yourself, and 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 really, like you said, that self-awareness. Fear, is of the key. Un-
1: fear of the unknown. I'm so sorry. I'm just doing a slight adjustment here. <laughs> apologies, I just um, wrecked my office. But anyway. Um, oh, that's fine. <laughs> apologies. I've that just happens you, uh,
0: all the time on Leaders Talk.
1: <laughs> i back up. I haven't collapsed. No, it's, a, it's just a, my son arriving back now, and he could appear in a little head. It'd be like the yeah. the Sky News correspondence. He'd be hi. <laughs> so I just had to lock the door. So I didn't, I didn't fall off the chair, and it was my bottle of water that fell. So, you know, yeah. I'm back. It's <laughs> <I'm Okay>. fine. <laughs> The things that happen in live interviews,
0: <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Marie. I think uh, I think we're running near the end of the time, and I'm I, I really thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, and I, I hope the audience as well. did as well. Um, and uh, uh, if there's any uh, words of wisdom you'd like to leave us with,
1: I think it's the, the patient sympathy and compassion, and I think that's applicable to. Every situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Thank you so much again. And, uh, I look forward to talking to you again.
1: Me too late. Thanks a million.
0: Have a great day.
1: You too.